Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's Gospel lesson picks up from last week's account of the feeding of the 5,000 by Jesus. You may remember that at the beginning of that story, Jesus and his disciples attempted to go off to a deserted spot on the far side of the Sea of Galilee for a little bit of R&R. The crowds, however, figured out where they were going. And so when Jesus and his disciples showed up, there were 5,000 men alone, not even including the women and children, waiting for them. Jesus taught this very loud, large crowd all day long. And then as sun was setting and it came time for the evening meal, Jesus used what might have normally fed just a single family to feed that entire group of thousands. The lesson informed us last week that the entire group ate and all, all were satisfied. Now in our culture of plenty and sometimes even of excess, we can't even begin to understand that back in those ancient days only the very wealthiest of people would get up from their dinner tables and be totally satisfied. Although their appetites were probably far more modest than ours and obesity was not so prevalent a problem, the average person rarely had enough food to be satisfied at every meal. Most of the time they were still a bit hungry as they took their leave. So when Jesus fed all of them and all of them left satisfied, that was quite unusual. It was so unusual, in fact, that if you read John's Gospel account of this episode, it informs us that on account of this, the people wanted to make Jesus their king. After all, who wouldn't want a, a king who would give you free food for the rest of your life? Jesus, though, wanted to get his disciples out of there before they got caught up in that frenzy, too. And that is how the disciples ended up back in that boat and back out on the Sea of Galilee. While the disciples set out across the water, however, Jesus returned to the crowds and he dismissed them. And after that, he spent several hours up on the mountainside engaged in prayer. When Jesus finished praying, we are told he stood out on that mountain and looked down over the sea, watching his disciples struggle against the wind. One gets the impression from the text as we read it that it took all of their efforts of rowing that boat just to keep it steady and away from being dashed on the rocks. It's interesting to note here, however, that St. Mark then tells us that it was not until the fourth watch of the night that Jesus came down from that mountain and walked out onto, not into, mind you, but onto the waters of the Sea of Galilee. Now the fourth watch is the last three hours of the night that period just before sunrise. Now, I don't care how much experience you've had out on the water as a sailor, these fishermen still had to be exhausted. They'd been struggling hopelessly against the wind for most of the night. And now here comes Jesus, out taking a stroll on the lake. Now, all the disciples could see in the darkness was this dim figure walking across the water. Imagination can be a wonderful thing when applied in the right time and the right place, but 
After a night of battling the wind and the waves, when you're sleep-deprived and you're near exhaustion, your imagination can conjure up all sorts of terrifying images. The disciples thought that the specter of death was approaching them. And they were terrified, we're told. And this is one of those times where we really can't blame them for that reaction. I think most people would admit that under such extreme circumstances, they too would be seeing visions of ghosts or even worse. But Jesus called out to them. He calmed their fears. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then Jesus got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. And the sea became calm. This is now the second time in Mark's Gospel that we are told that Jesus demonstrated control over the weather. But then St. Mark tells us something that's even a little bit more surprising. By now, the disciples had learned that Jesus has control over diseases, over injuries, over demons, over weather, and yes, even over death. And then Jesus delegated his power to his disciples and apostles, and they were given the authority to go out themselves and cast out demons and to heal the sick. And then, of course, last week we learned that the disciples had witnessed Jesus feed that crowd of more than 5,000 with just a few rolls and a couple of fish. Even after all this, though, Mark tells us that their hearts were hardened. That means that they still did not have an accurate idea of just who Jesus was. Nor did they have complete confidence and trust in him. Now in reality, of course, we're told in all four gospel accounts that this understanding never really came about until after Jesus had been crucified, died, and rose again from the dead. It was only then that the disciples and others became able to understand that Jesus is true God. True God come in the flesh for us. So what can we learn from this episode in the ministry and life of Jesus and his disciples? Well, today's Old Testament lesson can remind us of one thing that we can learn. It's the account from Genesis of the aftermath of the great flood. And ever since Noah had taken his little congregation of seven other people aboard that ark, watercraft have been used as a metaphor for the Christian church. Ships and boats and even simple floating planks have been referred to to represent the church at one time or another. Today's gospel lesson quite literally places Jesus' congregation in a watercraft, out there on the sea, fighting the wind and the waves. But one thing we also learn from this lesson today that the church works a lot better when Jesus is in the boat. Unfortunately, there are an awful lot of people out there who like to try to do church without Christ. At least, without the Christ as he's revealed to us in the scriptures. In fact, a, a certain author by the name of Dr. Michael Horton has written a book that is called Christless Christianity. Now, within this book, Dr. Horton both documents and laments the fact that there's a lack of Christ in a lot of America's churches today. He also laments the fact that so many churches who do teach a Christ teach a Christ that isn't found in the Bible. But Jesus himself gave us the definition of the Christ 
when he said in Luke 24, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Nevertheless, many churches out there teach that Jesus is a great moral teacher, a fine example of living, a life coach, an advocate for social justice, or merely a noble martyr who sacrificed himself for his friends so that they could escape arrest and possible death. They forget to teach the Jesus who died on the cross, the Jesus who rose from the dead. Now many other churches, they will teach Christ crucified in order to bring people into the church, but once they are in, they abandon that topic. Instead, they teach that Christ crucified is just the starting point. After a person becomes a Christian, they say, then, then it's time for you to begin to grow spiritually by means of self-improvement. And then the topic switches from Christ on the cross to your Christian walk, to your obedience to God, use of your spiritual gifts, your ministry to others, your efforts, your moral improvement, your choices, your example, your lifestyle, your perfection. It is as if they believe that Christ crucified gets people into the church, but after that, a person no longer needs Christ except as an encourager or as an example. To return once again to our boat or ship metaphor, Christ puts us into the boat, but then he leaves us. He stands on the shore and waves to us and wishes us well on our journey. But remember, when the disciples did that, all they did was get themselves into trouble with rough seas and a strong headwind. They were unable to get anywhere on their own. If we try to do church without Christ, then all that is left for us is the law. Now the law's main job is to show us that we need a Christ. And if we insist on continuing without Christ, then all that is left of the law is condemnation. And so many people have become experts at hiding the condemnation of the law. It's the nature of the law, after all, to judge us, and nobody likes to be judged. And so other phrases for the law have become popular. People say that they are living the victorious Christian life, or they are living a life of purpose, or they are living a sanctified life, or any number of catchy euphemisms that really mean, I'm living by and under the law. Yet all those phrases, they sound so righteous, so holy. Whatever people call it, though, it is all about what you do. Your testimony, your example, your lifestyle. And whenever it is about what you do, it is about the law. And Jesus had a very simple teaching about how well we must keep the law for this approach to be successful. Matthew records his words, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Are you as perfect as your Father in heaven? I'm not. If Christ is not in your boat, if you're trying to live by perfection, by the law, then perfection is all you can count on. And Adam and Eve only had to commit one sin in order to let death into the world. If you were to live by the law, you cannot commit even one sin. 
So how are you doing on that? Have you ever once even lied to your mother? Then you are a liar. Have you ever taken a pencil even home from the office without permission? Then you are a thief. Have you ever hated one, anyone, just once, for a short period of time? Then you are a murderer. Have you ever had a fantasy about anyone other than your spouse? Then you are an adulterer. Have you ever failed to protect someone else's reputation when you heard a story about them? Then you are a slanderer. The Holy Spirit inspired the prophet Isaiah to write the following. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Other translations say, like filthy rags. So if even our righteous deeds condemn us, what possible chance do we have on our own? And that is why it is so important that we keep Christ in the church. When Jesus walked out onto the water and got into the boat with the disciples, the headwind went away. When Jesus is in the church, the headwind and the rough seas of our sin are taken away too. Jesus is the one who is the perfect husband to his bride, the church. Jesus is the one who is the perfect son come to do the will of his Father. Jesus is the one who is perfect just as his heavenly Father is perfect. Yet Jesus is the one who gives even sinners like us his perfection in baptism. Jesus is the one who takes away the sin of the world with his suffering and his death on the cross. Jesus is the one who opens up heaven for us in his resurrection. And Jesus is the one who remains yet with us even past his ascension. Without Jesus, the church is dead. With Jesus, though, the church is eternal. And the church only works if Jesus is in the boat. The law is good. In fact, the law is perfect. And yet it is incomplete without the gospel. Without the gospel, the law can only condemn. It can show us certainly that we are sinners. And it can show us that we do indeed need a Savior. But without the gospel, we can't possibly know who that Savior is. Without the gospel, we are condemned to try to save ourselves. It is only when Jesus is in the boat, only when the church proclaims not just the law, but also the gospel, that we know we have salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Ever since those days of Noah, the Christian church has often been compared to a ship. But how can you know that you've boarded the right ship? Well, when the Word of God, both the law and the Gospel, are taught in their truth and in their purity, and when the Gospel is delivered in the administration of the sacraments according to Christ's command, then, there, you have the true church. This, then, is the Holy Christian Church. That ship that now sails on the smooth waters and the gentle winds of Christ's forgiveness. Jesus the Crucified, even though she is tossed upon the tempest, of the world around her. Whenever and wherever you find this, Jesus is with you in the boat. And then we can take courage and no longer be afraid. In his holy name, amen.